Food Heals Nation, what have you been doing lately when it comes to truly caring for your skin? Have you tried any of the light therapy facials or the LED masks? I've shared on this show how I use lasers to completely remove my brown spots in the past, and I love anything that can help me with wrinkles or blemishes or redness or scars. I find a lot of great products on YouTube that I test out, and I've just discovered a new brand. It's called Lima, and when you see the before and afters on YouTube, you're going to be a convert too. They are changing the way that you care for your skin on actually a profoundly scientific level. This is the Lima laser. It's the world's most powerful clinic grade cosmetic laser device and the only laser FDA cleared for at home use. Why this is important is because I was spending, I'm not going to tell you how much, way too much money years ago when I was getting rid of those brown spots when I was really healing my skin. And now This same type of technology is available at home, and I'm here for it. I am so excited. So this is a near-infrared laser light that penetrates deep into the dermis, simultaneously working on your fat, muscle, and bone to give you like a non-surgical facelift. It transforms your skin. It helps skin issues like wrinkles, sagging, blemishes, pigmentation, redness, breakouts, and scars. And it does this with zero damage, zero pain, and zero downtime. And I remember the lasers that I used to do, they did have some downtime, so this is great. Make sure to check out some of the before and after photos on the website so you can see what I'm talking about. They have YouTube videos too. But the reason it's groundbreaking is it uses that near-infrared low-level light technology, which is completely cold and painless, and it's 100 times more powerful than an LED. And the craziest part is you can even use it with a full face of makeup. So check it out for yourself. Visit lima.life. L is for live. Y is for younger. M is for masterful. A is for approved, and learn more about the Lima Laser. If you're interested in trying one today, you can sign up for their newsletter. Tell them that Food Heals sent you, and please let me know if you order one. I want to hear about your results. Again, it's lima.life, L-Y-M-A dot life. Y'all, oh my God, Food Heals Nation, I just got the softest sheets and pajama set from Cozy Earth, and I had to go and get you a discount code too, so that you could experience the coziness as well. You can visit CozyEarth.com, use the promo code FOODHEALS, and you'll get an exclusive 35% off. So Cozy Earth, it's like your one-stop shop for what they call the luxury she deserves. So listen up, guys because this could make a great gift for that special someone, your girlfriend, your wife, the mother in your life. And don't forget, Mother's Day will be here before we know it. So get a gift for the mom or moms. Here's a nice little gift you could ask for. Anyways, let's start with the sheets to transform your sleep. The coolest thing about Cozy Earth Bedding is that it is temperature regulating. So you stay cool, which is so important when you're sleeping. Plus they are just so soft. It feels like I'm sleeping on a cloud. Plus I love the cozy earth quality and longevity promise. All products come with a 100 night sleep trial and a 10 year warranty. So incorporating cozy earth products into your self-care routine can enhance your sleep quality and just overall wellness. So Again, this is the luxury you deserve. You can treat yourself to the ultimate in comfort and indulgence with Cozy Earth bedding and sleepwear and prioritize your self-care and sleep health. 
And while you're at it, don't forget to check out the Bamboo Pajama Set. It was awarded Oprah's Favorite Things in 2019, so you know it's good. I love the softness and breathability of the fabric, and it has these really great side pockets. And don't forget that by supporting our sponsors, you support this show. Head over to CozyEarth.com, use the promo code FOODHEELS for an exclusive 35% off, and go get your mom the luxury she deserves on Mother's Day at CozyEarth.com with promo code FOODHEELS. Holistic Voice presents the Food Heals podcast with your hosts, Alison Melody and Susie Hardy. Join the Food Heals nation and learn the secrets to go from feeling unwell to healing yourself. Warning, side effects of this podcast may include increased health and vitality, thoughts of living longer, an increase in sexual activity, feelings of joy, cravings for kale and quinoa, and a spike in Tinder matches. In rare cases, people have experienced a strong desire to put down the Ben and Jerry's, get off the couch, and take a walk outside. If you experience any of these symptoms, tell your Facebook friends immediately. All right, welcome Food Heals Nation. Thanks for joining me. I'm Allison Melody. There's a lot of talk in pop culture and in the news these days about these buzzwords like gaslighting and narcissism. But what do these terms truly mean? How can you know if you're in a relationship or a friendship with a narcissist? How can you tell if one is in your family? What are the signs to look for? How do we get out safely? These are the questions that we seek to answer on today's episode of Food Heals with my girls, Nicole Dursway and Whitney Lauritsen. Now, this may be a trigger warning for some, so be prepared. We are going to talk about mental and emotional abuse. Um, this is a discussion of our experiences. We are not licensed therapists. We are not doctors, but we are sharing our experiences and our advice based on what we have each been through. Now, if you or someone you know is in an abusive relationship and need to get out, please get help at thehotline.org. This is the National Domestic Violence Hotline. You can call them directly at 1-800-799-SAFE. You can also chat online with them or text with them at thehotline.org. To text with them, you can text START to 88788. So let me introduce you to today's guests. They are Food Heals OGs. Although they're here to talk about narcissism, they used to be on Food Heals to talk about veganism. Well, we've connected again on similar shared experiences as good friends very often do. It's Whitney Lauritsen and Nicole Dursway. Nicole has been described by many as the vegan love child of Rachel Ray and Tina Fey. She's a world-class vegan chef with culinary training at Le Cordon Bleu. She's the heart and soul behind the Martha Project, which brings quality plant-based meals and human connection to those without shelter. And we've got well-being coach, social media advisor, and digital content creator, Whitney Lauritsen. She's the co-host of This Might Get Uncomfortable. That is an amazing podcast. And she and Nicole are actually co-authors of the Vegan Ketogenic Diet Cookbook. Can't wait to share the interview with you, Food Heals Nation. But first, if you drink coffee every day, Why not supercharge it in both the taste and the health benefits? That's right. I'm talking about the Chagachino. The Chagachino is your coffee's new BFF with benefits. 
Trust me, I told you last time, I have been obsessed with the Chaga Chino for years. When I lived in LA, they served it at Alfred Coffee. I had one to my left in Beverly Hills, I had two to my right in West Hollywood, and I would walk, drive, or Postmate it all the time. I was obsessed. So how excited was I when the company Renewed that makes Chagachino reached out and said, we want to work with you. I was like, oh, I'm already obsessed with you. Like, this is so exciting. And since I've been road tripping and doing the digital nomad thing, I haven't been able to get my Alfred Coffee Chagachino. Well, now it has been mailed to my door and I could not be happier. So all you do is you add one packet of the Chagachino mix into your regular coffee or your latte and transform it into an adaptogenic superfood mushroom-based mocha. It is delicious AF, it's vegan, it's keto, has got no sugar and no calories. I made it for my friends the other day and they were like, Ali, you sweeten this. And I'm like, no, I didn't. Now I did put an almond milk creamer, but it didn't have a flavor. And the Chagachino is naturally sweetened, but it is with monk fruit and cinnamon, right? So the ingredients are all things that you can pronounce. It's a hundred percent wild forage chaga, raw cacao, Ceylon, cinnamon, monk fruit, and there's no binders, no fillers, no emulsifiers, no solvents, no preservatives. So if you're sold and you want to get your Chaga Chino on and be like me, go to drinkrenewed.com. That's nude like naked. Drink, R-E-N-U-D-E.com. Use the promo code FOODHEALS at checkout. You'll get 15% off your Chaga Chino order. Take it from me. This is going to upgrade your daily coffee habit and you're going to be so happy. Go to drinkrenewed.com. Use my promo code FOODHEALS. You'll get 15% off your order of Chaga Chino. All right, next up, my interviews with Whitney and Nicole. Roll it, Roxy. The Food Hills Podcast starts now. All right, so I've brought together three of us women who have all had various experiences with narcissism, really, because we want to discuss it freely and shed some light on what's what being in a narcissist narcissistic relationship means for your health, your safety, and your sanity, and how to get the help that you need. Because I don't know about you guys, but I didn't know what it was, and I didn't know how to get help. I didn't know I could cut people off. I didn't know how to handle it. And so this is just an open discussion. None of us are experts, but we're all experienced now. And so we know kind of what has worked for us and what hasn't. Um, So first, let's just quickly introduce ourselves. You guys are Food Heals OGs. You've been on the show multiple times. You are Food Heals favorites, but just introduce yourself and tell me like a short little bit about your experience with narcissism. Hey, I'm Nicole Dursway. I am a plant-based chef in Los Angeles. I also am the CEO of the Martha Project, which is a nonprofit that feeds plant-based foods to the houseless community here in LA. And um, I, I've had several encounters with narcissists, but the big one was a relationship that lasted almost a year and ended in 2018. And coming off of that relationship, I really got educated about what narcissism is, how to identify the signs. And, and I did a lot of healing as an empath uh, to heal the vulnerabilities that made me susceptible to um, dating a narcissist in the first place. So that's, that's kind of my gist. Yes, very similar. Okay, Whitney. I'm Whitney Lauritsen, and I am the co-host of a few podcasts now. <laughs> I feel like a little bit part thanks to Allison. I, I'm Woo-hoo! now deep in the podcast world, and my main show is called This Might Get Uncomfortable. My passion is well-being, so everything that I work on centers around that in one way or another, and I'm also very into social media marketing 
and trying to constantly find the balance so that uh, people who are posting on social media don't feel overwhelmed or not enough. And that term not enough really ties into this conversation because that is the result, the, the emotional result that a lot of people who are in narcissistic relationships experience. And for me, that mostly comes from having a narcissistic mother. And one of my favorite resources on narcissism is called Will I Ever Be Good Enough? Mm. And when I read that book, it not only helped me identify her as a narcissist, because I didn't realize that until I read that book, but it also helped me understand myself more and really dig deeper into the not enoughness, which is not something only I experience. It's, it's incredibly common. So I'm excited to talk about this because I've started to wonder how many people have been in narcissistic relationships, either with parents, uh, you know, employers, coworkers, relationships, all these different people that can come into our lives and leave a lasting impression that could lead us to feel not enough. Yes. So I really want to deep dive into that because I think that one of the things that I've learned in my experiences with being in narcissistic relationships is that they target empaths, people who are very, feel very, very strongly, feel very, very hard emotionally, energetic. We are the people that may have been called too emotional and then taken that personally and internalized it and go, well, well, how am I supposed to be? And asked all the questions. And it's like this horrible cycle that we get into. So I'll briefly share my experience with narcissism. And then I want to get into um, really deep, like, what are our experiences? How have they shaped us? What have they taught us? And how do we now recognize it so we can get the F away from it when we see it coming? Because now I can spot it pretty quickly, but it took yeah. a long time right, <laughs> to get there. Um, so it started out with a girlfriend, not a love relationship. And I did not know what a narcissist was. I did not know what a sociopath was. Those I thought a narcissist was someone who thought they were so great. I thought a sociopath was a serial killer. I was wrong. Both of those are possible, like a sociopath and a narcissist could be a serial killer. They could think very highly of themselves. In fact, they do, but there's so much more to it. So it was a girlfriend of mine, then another girlfriend of mine who I recognized that was this doing the same thing. And I was like, oh my God, I have two friends that are doing this to me. Then it was two love relationships. Okay. I didn't learn enough from the first one. Universe had to put me through a second one, right? And they love empaths. So I really had to learn how to navigate those relationships. And I even have cut certain people out of my life for my own sanity. And a lot of people are like, how did you do that? And I'm like, because it is for my health and well-being that these people can no longer be in my life. Yeah. And I do want to touch briefly on some of the terms that we're going to use today, like narcissist, like sociopath, like gaslighting, because these terms are kind of thrown around, but it's important to understand what they are and like what the distinction is. So if someone's a narcissist, they have a strong need to be admired. They're the ones that want to be told how great they are. <laughs> Their love language is probably words of affirmation. They have an excessively heightened sense of importance and they are very entitled. They believe that they deserve special treatment. Then a sociopath can be that. And then what distinguishes them is that they feel no remorse for what they do. Their actions, they don't care how they hurt others. Like when you're in their way, they will trample all over you and not give a single F. They don't have empathy. A sociopath will manipulate their way into a friendship, into a family unit, into a relationship just for their own amusement. And sociopaths can be narcissistic, but not all narcissists 
are sociopaths, okay? Then gaslighting, that's when someone makes you crazy by making you question your own reality, your memory, your perceptions. You're like, this happened. They're like, no, it didn't. And you start to believe their lies. And please make no mistake because it is a form of emotional abuse. And it can be very often found within the family unit and it can sometimes span generations. That's actually been part of my journey of trying to understand my mother and how how she raised me impacted who I am today. And a, another book that I read very recently, just a few months ago, is called A Generation of Sociopaths, How the Baby Boomers Betrayed America. Mm. And that is such a good read because it's all about the baby boomer, boomer generation, which is, well, my mom is, you know, in, that's her generation. And understanding how they were raised is a huge part of this too. So to understand like how the generational um, like ripple effects happen and better understanding that term sociopath to your point, Allison, it, it's a term that can kind of just get thrown around a lot, just like narcissism. And, And unless you truly understand the definition of it, both of the books that I've mentioned, um, again, A Generation of Sociopaths, and then the first book is Will I Ever Be Good Enough? They get into the actual psychological definitions of these from the uh, DSM, I think uh, is what it's called, and the um, deeper meanings of these words that people can understand the labels. And one thing I discovered, especially through Will I Ever Be Good Enough, is that narcissism is on a spectrum. So yes. it's not always super easy to identify, to your point. Um, some people might have just a few traits. Some people might be well overblown. And I think the same thing can be true of sociopaths, too. So I'm a big fan of like backing up things with research. And if anyone else is like me, those two books have been really helpful for me in better understanding those terms. Oh, it's amazing that that Whitney's sharing these books. It's really helpful. I had a book that I read when I came out of my relationship Two books. One helped me understand the narcissist experience and, and, and how that works. Called It was called Becoming the Narcissist's Worst Nightmare. And it sounds ah. like, an, yeah, and it, the, the title sounds very antagonistic, but really it's just a book that teaches you how to identify and then how to defend, right? Because if we don't have any defense mechanisms up, we are just, you know, an open playing field for narcissists, what the book identifies as narcissistic supply, Right. So we just become kind of this energy source that they're feeding off of, which is really ironic because at the time when I was dating the narcissist, I had these terrible dark circles. I wore a ton of makeup. I looked literally like I was maybe fighting a disease. Um, And, um, you know, that was just this kind of energetic vampire thing that was happening. And then another book that I read right after to help heal. Um, the vulnerabilities that made me susceptible to a narcissist uh, was The Dark Side of the Light Chasers. And mm-hmm. it's a great book for anybody who identifies as an empath or somebody that has a lot of love or they're involved in philanthropy. Um, it, it shows the vulnerabilities of an empath that make you susceptible and it takes you through a series of exercise and meditations. And I was in such a space at that time, I did every single exercise in the workbook where usually I like, you know, fold over the workbook pages and I just keep reading. I did every single exercise and I've recommended that book, The Dark Side of the Light Chasers to a lot of people because it was really profound in my healing journey. 
Yeah, I love these resources because you feel so alone, at least I know I did, when I started looking into this and researching. And, you know, Google was my friend because I was like, how am I being treated like this? I was being completely gaslighted, right? Gaslit. I don't know what the proper term is, but made to feel like I was the crazy one. And that's what people like this do. So I want to quickly go through, okay, narcissism versus sociopathy. They are very similar, but let's go through the symptoms of narcissism. Okay. Arrogance, strong lack of empathy, but they can show empathy because they know how to emulate human behavior. They have a constant need for admiration, a heightened sense of self-importance. They have envy around others if they think they're doing something better. They have very often an obsession with power or looks or success or wealth, but they hide it very well and you start to see the layers of the onion come off slowly, usually in these relationships. And then sociopathy is kind of like the next level where it's almost more recognizable because it's like they may break the law. They think they're above it. Um, they are very deceitful in their relationships. They will swindle people. You know, these are the people in the news who, who are stealing the money, um, the white collar criminals who are just like have no regard for that and just like, oh, it's mine. I deserve it because I know how to do this, right? They're non-committal. They don't pay back debts. They don't say I'm sorry. They don't have remorse. And so both of these obviously have um, spectrums, as Whitney said. But the point is, is that you can be dealing with a narcissist who may not be a sociopath, or you can be dealing with vice versa. But the point is, if you're dealing with one, you got to get out and we're going to help you like figure out how to navigate how to get out and when to get out. Or like in Whitney's case, you can't necessarily leave your mother, right? And like you can leave your husband or you can leave a boyfriend or you can leave a friend. And so how to be in that and have the healthiest relationship possible, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. So one of the ones in the news that is fascinating that we've heard people talking about is with Gabby Petito and God rest her soul and um, her boyfriend, Brian. So all of these people actually saw abuse going on. They saw emotional abuse. They even saw physical abuse. And, you know, in that video, there are signs that she was a victim of abuse. And so very often mental abuse or emotional abuse is hard to even determine because we feel so weak or the person feels so weak that they can't even completely understand that they're in that abusive relationship. So I want to talk about like, do we think Brian is a narcissist? Because that's been thrown around in the news. Um, And Whitney, actually, this is crazy. I think this is so interesting. You were road tripping where they were in Grand Teton at the same time, right? So, and then you have on your TikTok, there was a white van in your footage. So tell us like, what was it like out there? What's your impression of where they were? What was going on? Like, give us the inside scoop. It was definitely interesting because at the time, obviously I had no idea that that was going on. And and once I found out, it felt very eerie. What I did know about was these two women, a couple that were killed in Utah, I believe. I think it was in Moab. Um, and I, forgive me, cannot remember their names, but uh, they were killed like right before I, I started my trip. And my friends were like, hey, are you, <laughs> are you worried about traveling? But I didn't feel that worried because it felt like such an isolated, isolated incident and right. something I felt like, oh, that's not going to happen to me. Right. And, and clearly it didn't. I'm safe. 
But to come back from that trip and hear this huge news story that happened while I was in this park at, right around the location. In fact, there was one report of somebody who picked up Brian Laundry while hitchhiking and they dropped him off in an area that I passed through within like 90 minutes of when he was supposedly dropped off. And Whoa, that's it was very bizarre. And so that's why I went through my footage. And, and from as far as I can tell, I did not actually see their van. That was on the early days of the story where people were just trying to like come up with anything and figure it all out. But, but there you are I mean, video blogging in a white van does go by you. I mean, that's kind of creepy. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I saw a bunch of them. It turns out they're pretty common. And and who knows if, if they were even the same model. One of them definitely wasn't. But, you know, it it's an interesting story, because I think it it's tricky. <laughs> There's a lot of layers to it. And I've thought a lot about it. To answer your question, though, about what it was like to be at that park. I mean, Grand Teton's was spectacular. I remember feeling safe and happy and just so grateful to be in nature. And then they supposedly were going to uh, Yellowstone, which is where I went to afterwards. But Gabby never made it there because they found her body in mm. Grand Tetons. So it's a shame that mainly that women feel so vulnerable, um, which I, I think is a huge concern. And to your point, Allie, like narcissism, I don't know statistically if it's more common in men than women. Um, like I said, I've I've studied generational differences, and I it seems like it's very common in older generations. But we also live in a time where people are very self-absorbed with themselves. And part of my curiosity is that if you have a narcissistic parent, are you less likely to be a narcissist yourself, or more likely? Yeah. Are you impacted by the ripple effect of all of this, right? And also the sociopath thing. Part of what I found so fascinating in that book, A Generation of Sociopaths, is how much of an impact the boomers have on every generation. Like it, that book just outlines all the connection and a lot of the challenges we have because of a sociopath. So then you start to wonder does someone like Brian Laundrie? think that he's entitled, think that he should be in charge, think that he can dominate and he can harm people and get away with it. Um, although I did find out right before we started recording today that they may have found his body. Wow. So that's a little news update. I uh, do not know if it's true or not, but it's been uh, an interesting unfolding. And a lot of people feel like it would be upsetting if they did indeed not find him alive because maybe we'll never get the answers about why he did this. And I think yeah. that's part of the big question is like, why do people do things like that? And so I think with him, it seems very obvious to me that, but of course I'm not a doctor. I can't diagnose. I'm just saying it seems very obvious to me that she was in some sort of abusive relationship. And I have been in that with two um, men. And the first one is when I really was understanding what that was. And the second one, I skipped all the red flags because he was hot and I was in love, right? So Nicole, tell me about some of the relationships that you've had and what were some of the red flags that you started to see that kind of told you like, okay, this is something I need to figure out. This is something, maybe it's not me, right? Because they gaslight you into thinking it's you and you have to fix everything. That was my yeah. experience anyway. Yeah. I mean, so my narcissist found me at a really perfect time. We were going through a really hard time in my family where my grandma um, 
who I named the Martha Project after, had just passed and we were preparing for her burial. And mm-hmm. I had, and we were going, she won her ashes spread um, over the Topot Gorge in Lake Havasu. So we were going on a family heritage trip to spread her ashes. And the day before we left, I went on my first date with a narcissist. So one big red flag is that they will come into your life. They can really spot wounded animals. So it's very common that they enter your life when you're going through a really hard time and you just need that one person to just a safe spot to land. So I was obviously devastated and they show up big and they show up large and you think that your knight in shining armor has showed up. I mean, he showed up on the date and he had... um, researched like my grandma was from Georgia and the state rose over there was like a yellow rose or something. He got like not one, but two dozen roses for the thing on a first date. And, you know, he called every single day during the burial uh, weekend and, and checked wow. in and did this over the top um, video for me where he had written like these love messages, like on each card and had put it to music. And so it's a real sweep your off your feet type of a romance that can happen with narcissists. I'm not saying all, but it's very common that they will come in at a time when you really need love and support and they will sweep you off your feet being over the top romantic with grand gestures um, that are kind of elaborate and breathtaking and disarming. So the whole point is to get the victim, uh, potential victim disarmed, right? And so that was one red flag that I missed was these kind of over the top romances. Another thing that I missed is that he seemed very interested in me and wanted to create a safe space for me to open up about all of my trauma and the things that had happened in my childhood. And he was such a good listener. And and, and what I didn't notice was that he, when it came time for him to share and to be vulnerable, uh, it was very limited information that I would get back. So he was collecting all this data on me. Now, the reason why he wants this pool of data is that these will now become weapons later when we're in the gaslighting period. So someone who wants you to open up and be super vulnerable, but is more hesitant to be open and vulnerable and meet you in return, that's a red flag for me. Um, 100%. Right. So those are two. Another thing is um, there's a period of kind of um, really elevating you and toting you and just uh, just bragging to all their friends, showing you off to every social thing, just talking you up like you're just like the best thing that ever happened. You're on the best. And this is also a disarming technique. And that is really um, kind of tragic because once that period ends, you might feel like the carpet got pulled out from under your feet where you were like the brightest star in their world. And the next day they're criticizing you, tearing you apart. You can't dress right. You can't think right. You can't talk right. You're probably not even breathing right. Everything is wrong with you. So those are my top three warnings that I, that I could say really quick and fast that I, I kind of missed right off the bat. God, our experiences are so similar. And it's so funny because, you know, I'm sure at first you were like, girls, look how romantic he is. And everyone's like, wow, this is the one. Like your girlfriends would rally around him. Like he sounds great. So there's a term for this, ladies. It is called love bombing. And it happened to me too. And I was like, I have met the love of my life. Like it's over. I never have to date again. He would just look me in the eyes and put me on that pedestal and just tell me I was so beautiful and I was so incredible and I was so smart. And I was like, I know. Thank you for finally recognizing this, you know, but it was also a way of drawing me in because I was weak. He knew I needed it. And then just like you said, it was 
getting to know me, finding out my deepest, darkest traumas and tragedies, which I share freely. I share them on this podcast, right? So, you know, give me a glass of wine and ask me about trauma and you're going to hear a lot, right? And then it's used against you. And you're like, what? What's months later? It takes months because first they maybe years sometimes Um, because I know people who have been in these relationships for years and the narcissistic or the sociopathy shows up later because maybe they were triggered by a trauma. So this could take months. This could take years. In my most recent case, it was months. And I was like, wait, I thought you were the one. Now you're using everything I told you against me. And you're so confused. It's really disorienting for sure. Um, and you know, that, that is a cycle that they will pull you into later on, you know, it kind of does go in cycles. So there's the love bombing that you spoke of, and then there's the discard, which will happen. And the way that they're training their victims is the same way that people maybe train dogs with intermittent reward. So they, the scientists have shown that dogs that are treated intermittently perform better than dogs that get a treat every time they sit because they wow. keep trying. So narcissists use that same technique. So they maybe will wound you or, um, and, and, and they won't apologize or make it better one time, but then another time they maybe will be super sweet and comforting and have these romantic makeups, never really owning what they did, but they're using their affection as an intermittent award or even giving the love bombing and the praise intermittently. So sometimes you're going to be toted and exalted and other, and other times you're not. It gets you on the hamster wheel of working harder and harder and harder for their approval, for their love, for their affection, because you're trying to get back to that place in the beginning when you're shy, when he was love bombing and the, sh- the knight in shining armor was there. And you just think, okay, there's some sort of disconnect. If I just show up harder, love harder, try harder, maybe all this is going to go away and we can go back to bliss town. But it's not. You're not going back there. <laughs> you're never going back to bliss town the train has left the station sorry ladies you're in a narcissistic mentally abusive relationship get out because it might get physical i'm not saying it will but it's always possible none of mine were ever yeah it can none of mine ever got physical thank god but that's also why you stay because you're like well he doesn't hit me and you're like well he was so great at the beginning we can get back to that so just like you i'm constantly trying to get back to that trying to be enough like whitney's point earlier trying to be enough for him trying to show him no no, no. Remember, this is who I am. Like they forgot. They didn't forget. They're just manipulating the shit out of you. (laughs) Yeah, totally. You know, and I don't know about this case, but something I wanted to touch on too is um, the stigmatization around being in an abusive relationship. So I know for me, one thing that allowed it to go on much longer is that I hid the abuse from my friends because I had so much shame over the fact that I had allowed myself to fall into this, that I had allowed myself to be in an abusive relationship. And I had negative judgments on other women that were in abusive relationships. And that's my bad. I had to work on that. I thought, you know, oh, abusive relationships are just for uneducated, weak women, uh, needy women. And I didn't identify with any of those things. So I certainly couldn't be in an abusive relationship. And if I was, I was so ashamed to admit it. So I started hiding and self-isolating, which, which, which just drew me further and further into the abuse cycle. And that was really dangerous, was just the shame around the fact that it happened. That makes so much sense. And I've totally been there because I was like, I had too much pride where I was just like, I will make this work because this will work because I'm not in this. I'm not that person. 
we're strong. Our love is stronger than this. No, it's not. Your your love is fake, but you don't know it. And I'm not trying to be harsh, but like, I didn't know it until I did. And then I still stayed in it. And then the shame comes along. She's like, I know what I'm doing. And why am I still doing it? Because you still have some hope because you've been beaten down emotionally so bad that you don't even know how to get out of it. And it takes hard work to get out of it. And so we just want to encourage anyone listening. If you're like, oh, I can relate to this, like get out girl, get out now or boy, like there are women who do this too. I had two women who were narcissistically taking advantage of me, abusing my friendship, using me. And I had no idea. I mean, I let people steal from me and still was their friend. Oh, it's okay. Like she was just uh, making excuses. If you're making excuses for other people's behavior. There's a problem. Like, no, get out. This person stole from me twice and I was still their friend. Now shame on me. (laughs) Yeah. And I think that shame is like a big indicator. Like if you're ashamed to fully admit to other people that love you, what's really happening, you're hiding certain details or downplaying the situation. That's a huge sign. If there's shame or any hiding, that's when you know, okay, this isn't cool. Nation, you asked and we answered. We often talk about gut health for humans, but what about our furry friends? So one of the questions I got recently was how we can boost the immune system of our pets. So I brought my girl, Tina Anderson. She's friend of Food Heals and founder of Just Thrive to answer your questions. So Tina, how can we support our pet's gut health and why is that so important? Yeah, well, our pet's gut health is just as important as our gut health is to humans. So, um, And the thing that we're seeing is that dogs are experiencing a lot of digestive challenges like gas, loose stools, even like unusual bad breath and sleep troubles and itchy skin and all of that. So um, we formulated a probiotic for pets that is just for pets and um, because we know that they are... They are faced with all of the challenges that humans are faced with, if not more. In fact, you know, we see a lot of dogs having a lot of gastrointestinal issues, and that's where their immune system is. Their immune system is found in their gut, just like humans. 70 80% of the immune system and immune cells are found in the gut. So it's really important for dogs that we're taking care of the gut health, uh, their gut health. And, um, you know, there's pesticides in the food that they're eating um, and in the grass. Like think of all the Roundup that's sprayed on our lawns and at parks. The dogs are ingesting this and that Roundup, that glyphosate, that active ingredient in Roundup is wreaking havoc on our guts, on the guts of our pets. Um, And then there's the wheat, corn, soy, and all of those ingredients that are found in many commercial dog foods and And then emotional stress, you know, like thunderstorms, being boarded up, all of those, you know, stressors are really starting to wreak havoc on a dog's gut microbiome. And um, so because dogs are experiencing leaky gut, just like humans, we actually did a leaky gut study on dogs. And we found that uh, we created a probiotic formulation. And the study showed that it was done by the University of Agriculture Sciences and Veterinary Medicine. And it basically showed that after taking these strains, um, they started to see, you know, reduction in leaky gut. They started seeing gastrointestinal issues were greatly reduced and just dogs all around feeling better. So, and and we've seen this with our customers, just seeing them, you know, be able to address a lot of the issues that they're, that the dogs have been having, um, and primarily the digestive issues. 
This is incredible. Food Heals Nation, if that's not a compelling enough reason to go to justthrivehealth.com and get your dog, your cat, your pet some probiotics and get their immune system boosted, I don't know what is. Coupon code is FOODHEALS15 to get 15% off your order. Tina, thank you so much for breaking that down for us and helping us help our furry friends get healthy. You bet. Thank you. And so Whitney, yours is a family member. So talk to us about that relationship. And for me, I was able to leave the abusers in every single case because I could leave my two boyfriends. I deleted two friends out of my life. And I have other friends who are mutually friends with them. And I say, y'all can be friends, but we won't hang out together. And that's a choice that I've made. And I said, you guys have a blast. I don't care. I'm never going to talk bad about these people, never going to judge them or shame them. I'm just out. But in a family situation, you can't just cut people out necessarily. Um, so Whitney, how do you deal with this when it's someone, when it's a family member? And what do you do to keep your sanity? Well, I do know people that have had to cut out family members for th- for their emotional well-being. I think if you don't want to do that, the key is to set boundaries. And it's really tricky because it's a long process of unraveling and understanding this. You brought up the term gaslighting. That's very common in narcissistic relationships. And it's not something that I even recognized was happening to me until very recently, like especially last year in 2020, when gaslighting was like, like coming up as a term more frequently, I started to reflect a lot on like, hmm, have I been gaslit? And then I would notice situations when I was around my mother and other family members. Because something that's really interesting about um, about the family dynamic that I found out in that book, Will I Ever Be Good Enough, is that narcissistic women will marry men that allow them to be the center of attention. And then the whole family dynamic revolves around the mother. And so it's really hard to realize that you're in the midst of that dynamic because that's been your entire experience. So I'm a really big advocate for underst- like reading as much as you can, obviously. I'm, I love reading, listening to podcasts, educating yourself, and talking more openly about it. Because going back to the gaslighting thing, if I didn't hear other people talking about it, then I may not have recognized it within myself. So I'm really glad that you created this conversation, Allie, because we're showing that it's happened to us. We're getting through it and we're talking about it as if it's not some big secret. But that secret actually is another component about narcissistic family relationships is narcissists tend to want everything to look perfect all the time and they don't want people to know their dirty secrets or whatever. So I can see why in a romantic relationship, you're, you're very like guided towards like, uh, being afraid to talk to other people about it. That's actually something going back to the Gabby Petito story that I wonder about. There's, um, body cam footage of her when the police officers pulled her over with Brian. And you wonder in that moment, why didn't she just say something? Yeah. But I think abusive relationships either find ways to get you to stay silent, even if you want to speak up, or you are so confused by it, under a spell, unaware that you don't even know what's happening to you. And 
for me, that's been a big part of my experience. And it's incredibly common, if not the majority of cases of children who grew up with a narcissistic parent, is that you just don't realize it because that's all you know. And they're very good at manipulating you. They also make it all about them. So you just get used to being in that place of like, oh, how can I make this person feel better about themselves? It's my responsibility to be good or to be quiet. This is something that I'll acknowledge about myself sometimes, especially since I identify as an introvert. I wonder, like, did I become an introvert as a way of like playing small, keeping safe, being quiet, not disturbing things, you know? And then you start to think like, wow, my whole identity is shaped by that parenting. Um, but going back to your original question about about how you manage that, I I think that fortunately my mother and I on a lot of levels have a good relationship. Um, so I want to maintain that. There are only a few times every now and then where I feel tempted to like cut off the relationship or take a big break or do something. It's usually when I feel really triggered and hurt, but it's not long lasting. So what I've developed over time as I've grown my awareness around being a child of a narcissistic mother is that I have to set boundaries, but I'm also continuously curious, like what is going on for her? Like, how did she become this way? Yeah, right? totally. And that's part of the big mystery that I'm still learning about. My sister, actually, we were listening to the audiobook version of Will I Ever Be Good Enough just this past weekend because I was prepping for this podcast and also my sister hasn't like looked into this as much as I have. And she actually brought up a remarkable point that had never occurred to me. As we were listening to the audiobook, she goes, you know, this kind of sounds like our grandmother, my mom's mom. Wow. And it had never occurred to me, right? But as my sister expressed that and I started listening more to this book, I'm like, whoa, like was my grandmother also a narcissist? And to back to what I said earlier, does growing up with a narcissist um, often lead to you becoming one yourself? And I think that could even happen in relationships, potentially. That I'm not fully sure about because maybe your emotional development is at a different stage when you're um, over 25, right? But but uh, it's still like maybe our behavior will uh, will start to mimic some of the things or we'll we'll start to like act out in ways. Like sometimes we go in the complete opposite direction of who we were before when we're in a bad situation. So I think it's incredibly important to stay super self-aware, but also to like connect a lot of the dots so you can understand why something is happening. This really goes back to that age old question of nature versus nurture. And I just want to say like, let me preface this, that I am no expert, but in my experience of watching Netflix documentaries and dealing with narcissists myself, my professional opinion, like my non-professional opinion, I should say, is that I think it is nurture. I think babies are born fucking perfect. And we see the serial killer documentaries where they're locked in closets, left alone, they're emotionally abused, they're physically abused. And guess what? They become fucking psychopaths. And that's why I really do think it's like, the way that you grow up, the people you surround yourself, how you are at a young age and how you are treated by your family and those closest to you does shape 
who it is that you become. And very often the people exposed to the most trauma are the people who come up with these coping mechanisms that turn into very often narcissism and sociopathy. Now, that being said, so many people deal with trauma and come out of it as a saint, as some a hero helping the world. So I'm not saying that that is a predetermined factor, but the point is, is that very often it is something that happened or something that happened repeatedly that shapes who it is that we become. And let's be honest, Psychology 101 tells us that we become our mother or our father, right? And so many of us are actually fighting to be the opposite of them if it was a, a, a something that we don't want to become. And then many of us are like, oh, my mom was great. Yeah, I want to be just like her. And then others of us are like, you know, trying not to be the father, trying not to be the mother. And that can lead to you becoming an amazing person, the opposite of that, or you can fight it your whole life and then become it, which I've seen. And so I think it is nurture. I don't think it is yeah. nature. That's my personal opinion, but I'm no I'm no doctor. Just want to say that. <laughs> I mean, I I venture to guess the same thing. And uh, there's a another book I want to bring up uh, called Adult Children of Emotionally Immature Parents. Mm, and, yeah, a lot of good ones. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, I gravitate towards trying to figure this stuff out. And totally. that book is really lovely. It's not necessarily about narcissism, but it's about healing from distant, rejecting or self-involved parents. And narcissism is all about being self-involved. And one point in that book is that we tend to gravitate towards situations that we have experience with because we know how to deal with them. Yes. And one thing that I'm reflecting on a lot recently is how I have gravitated towards relationships that are either similar to the dynamic I have with my mother or sometimes where I get to play the role of uh, the, the, my mother in that situation and just kind of all these dynamics. And it's pointed out that it's because it feels comfortable. And I think that's like a really good opportunity to reflect on like what makes us comfortable and what makes us uncomfortable. That's the whole theme of my podcast. Uh, because I feel like if we can just sit with either comfort or discomfort and ask ourselves, well, where is that coming from? We can start to reflect on all of these patterns, which may help us heal these relationships and also work on having better relationships in the future. This is so good. So as an empath, which I know both of you are, as a highly emotional person, which I say in a good way, not in a bad way in any way, shape or form, but narcissists, sociopaths, these type of energies are attracted to us. And so am I going to play the victim and go, God, these narcissists always get me. They always love me like poor me. Or am I going to take my power back and I'm going to go, well, let me heal what it is within inside myself that keeps attracting these relationships to me because there must be a reason, something unhealed within myself. So if I can take responsibility for what's unhealed within myself, whether it's childhood or just a recent relationship or whatever it might be, then I can take my power back and say, no, no more narcissists in this, <laughs> in this lifetime. Um, and if you come, I reject you immediately. I see you coming from a mile away and I don't accept that relationship into my life, but it takes me going, what do I need to work on? What do I need to heal? And I, I follow a lot of like psychology and stuff like that on Instagram. A lot of them are funny. And there are so many memes that are just like, 
oh yeah, you just got all that breakup. Well, you're going to get into the exact same relationship unless you heal what it is that got you into the first one, because it is a trauma with a parent or an unhealed relationship with someone from your childhood, or it could be something that happened in your twenties or thirties, who knows, right? But if you can figure that out when you were hurt and heal the hurt, then those people stop being attracted to you and you're going to attract the right relationship into your life. So I'm all about law of attraction, learning from the past so that I can move fully into my future. And here I am thinking, I got this. I'm done with the narcissist. And guess what? One walks right into my life, threw me for a loop. And I go, okay, there's more shit Allie's got to dig up, right? So it's a learning lesson. And each time I'm in the relationship, I'll heal a little bit more. But my goal is to not attract these people anymore. And if I do, be like, no buy, no trying to please them, no trying to make it work, none of that. It's just, I see the red flag and I run for the hills immediately. Not, I see one red flag and I overlook it. I see two red flags and I'm like, ah, he'll, he'll learn. I'll fix him. Like, no, sis, you will not fix him, right? Like, no. Totally. And I think that's why understanding all of this is so helpful because you don't get caught up in the emotions of it. Like you can look at it for what it is more objectively. And I love what Nicole is saying before too, is reflecting with your friends. I have had friends, including Nicole in uh, narcissistic relationships. And I remember one in particular, uh, a, a, a friend of mine was dating who we later found out with, was a narcissist. And I did not like him at all when I met him and I couldn't figure out why. And then another mutual friend had the same reaction, but we were afraid to say anything to our friend because our friend seemed so in love with this narcissist. And again, we didn't know he was a narcissist. So we just kind of let it play out. And then she finally figured it out and she came to us and she's like, I wish you had said something. And we actually like made a pact like in the future if any of us are dating someone and we see the red flags as friends, we give each other permission to bring it up. I love uh, that. But it's it's a tricky thing, right? Because we're all looking at relationships through different lenses of our experiences. And not only do we have to like figure out why we as individuals are doing something, but you know, our perception of somebody else may not always be true. And and so it's actually kind of humbling. We're not always right about someone. Even, Ali, to your point, you may see a red flag and run, but maybe it isn't a real red flag. Like some of these things you just don't know until you're in them. And so it's not always preventable. And then sometimes you run away from someone who's good for you, but because of what you're going on emotionally, you are not attracted to them because <laughs> your barriers are like, I'm you know, not into them. They're not my type. But a lot of times I've found through my research that our quote type is like triggering some sort of emotional reaction within us yeah. based on our wounds. So we tend to be attracted to people who aren't good for us and we don't even notice the people who are good for us. So it, it's a very complex thing. And I think it's important not to beat ourselves up over it, but just be like, all right, I'm growing, I'm learning. And can I build a support system of friends around me that can help me figure this out? Who else wants a free, fresh bottle of olive oil shipped straight to their door? Let me back up. The first time I went to Italy, I finally tasted real olive oil for the first time. It's not that I had never had olive oil before, of course, in the States, but the difference was I was having olive oil made fresh from olives that were growing on the property in Ravello 
off the Amalfi Coast. It was an experience I will never forget. And I ended up shipping like six bottles of it home because I couldn't bear to go back to store-bought processed olive oil. Well, the same thing happened to TJ Robinson. He's also known as the olive oil hunter. He learned that olive oil packs the most flavor and the healthiest nutrients when it's fresh from the farm. And that's the problem with your typical like supermarket olive oil the olive oil is not fresh. They can sit on the shelf for months, years, growing stale. And that's why I'm so excited that I now get my olive oil direct from small award-winning farms. Thanks to TJ, who I just did an olive oil tasting with, which was so fun. I absolutely fell in love with their vibrant, fresh, grassy flavors. They're totally delicious. They're great on veggies, pasta, salad, you name it. And TJ has his fresh-pressed olive oil club and food heals nation he will send you a full-size bottle worth 39 dollars of one of the world's finest most artisanal olive oils fresh from the latest harvest but he's only going to charge you one dollar to help cover shipping there's no commitment to buy anything now or ever it's his gift to food heals nation so you can get your free 39 dollar bottle for just one dollar shipping taste the difference taste the freshness you can go to get fresh 323.com. That's getfresh323.com. You'll get your free bottle and you'll pay $1 for shipping. Getfresh323.com. So um, question for both of you guys, what do you do now if you see yourself in getting towards this relationship? How do you handle it? Because what if it's a boss or a coworker or a family member like And it's not necessarily, you can't just go, bye, boy, bye. Like, Nicole, what would you recommend or what what do you do to protect yourself in these situations? Because now, once you start seeing them, you can spot them pretty quickly. In my experience, now I'm like, okay. You're going to stay at this distance. I don't, we're not going to be best friends. We're not going to date, whatever it might be. Um, but what happens when you're, you might be in a life situation that you can't control? Like it could be you have to work together um, or you have, it is your friend's boyfriend. You guys have to hang out together and she hasn't gotten the memo yet. Like, what do you do? <laughs> so I'm really lucky to be entrepreneurial and I get to choose who I work with, but that wasn't always the case. And I have had narcissistic bosses in the past. So one skill that I learned was, you know, basically you don't want to be narcissistic supply, right? So you want to do a technique that I learned in in my book called gray rock and gray rock is a very neutral response. Like a gray rock. If you think about a gray rock, it's a very neutral color. It just lays there, right? It's almost like the animal equivalent of like playing dead. So when you're triggered by a narcissist or they say something that is, you know, sharp or, you know, critical, you know, whether it's a boss or a family member, though, the worst thing you can do is have a big emotional reaction because they're feeding off that reaction. They're kind of getting off on the fact that they were able to affect you. So one of my favorite uh, defense mechanisms is gray rock. And you just simply, you, you show a neutral reaction. You, you don't react at all. You simply ignore the negative behavior and they will test this over and over again. But once they realize that you're not somebody that they can feed off of because they're not going to be able to get a reaction from you, they simply start feeding on other people because it's just not as fun to ruffle your feathers because they don't get anything out of you. So that's my number one tip is to play gray rock. And this also is important in romantic relationships at the ending of a romantic relationship. If you're trying to leave, you really need to do gray rock, which 
you know, it's, it's not responding to the hurtful and painful, very pointed text messages and multiple phone calls. And it is just non, it's a non response. It's not like a normal person where you could break up and be friends and move forward with your life with a narcissist. It truly has to be a, a hard and fast sever you need to not respond to any message, anything. It doesn't matter even if it sounds like the sweetest thing and they've come to their senses. It's a trap. It's called helicoptering. So they'll circle back too. And this happens with coworkers too. So you will have to keep practicing gray rock sometimes multiple times and then they'll leave you alone. And then maybe six months later, they'll come back around and do another test and poke and see if they could get a reaction. You have to stay in gray rock mode. God, that is such good advice because, and it might be the hardest to follow, especially if you're freshly out of the relationship, but God, they feed off that energy of making you feel a certain way. And so those texts, texts, excuse me, are only going to escalate, right? We know this because we've experienced it because I didn't play gray rock enough times to know that it never ends up well. It's not that you can just go back to being friends if you ever were friends before. You really have to cut it off because the moment you respond, they realize I still have power over her and this feeds their supply exactly like you said. So I think that is brilliant advice. Yeah. And it also starts the withdrawal, which maybe we can talk about that later, but it starts your withdrawal period over too. So I don't know if you guys experienced that, but there's when leaving a toxic narcissistic relationship, there's actually a chemical withdrawal period. And anytime that you re-engage with that drug, aka your narcissist, you have to reset the process. So it can make these breakups excruciatingly painful and drawn out if you're not careful and you don't stick to the gray rock plan. This is why people get back together multiple times before the final breakup very often. That definitely happened with me for sure. Same. I broke up with my narcissist three times until I finally, okay, I'm here. I showed up to class. I get the message. You are not. (laughs) Thank you, universe. Got it. How many more times do they need to prove it to me? You are not (laughs) fixing anybody. (laughs) You can't fix them. You can't change them. You can't love them into growth. Like They just don't have it. And they have fooled you into believing that they do. And that's the hard part because we are like, oh, we got this. And that's our, you know, our sunny, happy personalities. Yeah. But if you have to fix them, you got to let them go. You let Do you know what I go. mean? Like, bye. You let go. I did the same thing. I thought, oh, I'm just going to love him harder. And then this is going to go away. I, I, I'm just yes. going to double down, which is like the worst place you could be with a narcissist because then they really got you, right? Yes. And you're like, we'll go back to how it was when it started. Ladies, that's never going to happen. You were love bombed. It wasn't real. And that's so hard. Oh my God. It's so hard to go, wait, that wasn't real. Oh my God. Like half of these people aren't even capable of the emotions that they pretended to have for you and about you. And that is heartbreaking. Like my heart is broken to think that some of my most intimate romantic relationships were not real. Yeah. It hurts. It's not easy. I don't want to make light of this. I do want to say say goodbye, but it doesn't mean it's easy. No. And so I think having that circle of girlfriends to be there for you, like I remember I had to send a secret email address because my person was in my phone and in my emails and it was so scary. I had to send up, I made up a fake email address and I was like, okay, I think I'm in an abusive relationship. 
here's what's happening. And my friends rallied around me. They're like, we had no idea. And I'm like, I know because narcissists are the most charming motherfuckers on this earth. They are a wolf in sheep's clothing. They dress well, they act well, they present themselves well. They're funny, they're endearing, they're engaging. They're usually handsome or good looking if it's a woman. They know how to play the game. So your friends might adore them and have no idea. It can be hard, it can be scary, but find that friendship circle to rally around you. Go stay with a friend. And I think also taking time away is really key. And Nicole, this reminds me a lot of of the journey that you went on to recover is literally leaving the country if you can. Now, I should say, this is not going to be available for everyone, especially, Allie, as you mentioned, um, depending on your financial situation, where you live, do you have children? You know, there's a lot of factors here. So it's not a formulaic response. And Ali, I have a friend right now who's in an emotionally abusive marriage with two kids. And, you know, she's known for literally 12 years, the length of this relationship, that this is not a good person to be with. But she, for her own reasons, has been in it, has stayed in it, has tried, you know, all of that. Of course. Well, of as course friends, you would do that. As friends, we're just sitting on the sideline telling her we support her and, you know, but we we can't force her to do any of this. Like she has to do it herself and having children right now especially complicates it. Plus, financially, she's dependent on on her husband. So it's so complicated. We don't always have the luxury. Although if you do have the luxury, I think Nicole has a really wonderful story of how she literally went and got space and time to be on her own. To your point, Allie, I think that's an incredibly important part of this is that you in a narcissistic relationship, whether it's like mine growing up with a parent or um, a temporary relationship that you're in, you can easily lose your sense of self or just not know who you are. And that's something that's come up a lot. And I in some ways have developed the ability to think I know who I am, but other times I don't know who I am. And you start to second guess yourself and you lose your confidence and you feel insecure and not good enough and all those things, which make it really hard to leave. Because when you have someone that's a master manipulator, they know how to play you like a puppet. Yeah, And it's constantly this up and down uh, experience of not knowing what you're going to get. And oddly enough, that can keep people trapped in it. Um, but Nicole, I'm curious, like, how did you make this decision to go travel to find yourself and to literally get away from the situation that you were in? And, and how did that impact you? So this trip that I did was the best thing I, I ever did. Um, and I am so grateful that I did have the luxury and time and space to do it. What motivated this trip was in the month following the breakup, I had a very unique experience where it felt like I had pulled my body off of a battlefield and I was looking down, surveying the damage. And it was much worse than I realized because when I was in the relationship, I was in survival mode and I didn't really acknowledge all the abuse that was happening. And so now with just a little bit of space, it's like all the, all, all the dust settled at once and it was overwhelming. And Usually after a breakup, you know, even though there's some heartbreak, you feel like, okay, this relationship wasn't serving me. I'm a little heartbroken, but I'm doing what's right to move my life forward. And you can have a sense of taking charge and taking your power back. 
I had the opposite experience when I left the narcissist, and this is the piece I didn't understand, was the chemical withdrawal period. So I had never been through that. But because of the abuse cycles of pulling you in and pushing you out and the intermittent reward and the love bombing, it creates a chemical kind of dependency in the brain where it's up and down, up and down, and then you remove the narcissist and your body is in a state of withdrawal. Even if that was a negative experience, the chemicals are all mixed up. So in that withdrawal state, I found myself in, in a suicidal depression for the first time in my life. And it wasn't that I lost the love of my life and I was just devastated. It was a chemical depression. And I'm very lucky that I got into kundalini yoga. Someone suggested kundalini yoga specifically because it's a lot of breath work and it's a lot of um, helping to rebalance the chemicals in the brain. And I noticed that, you know, I only had kundalini class twice a week, but that's the only time that I felt not good, but just not suicidal for that hour and a half. And I mean, I was scared to be alone. I would go afterwards. I would go get soup at Air One. I would eat it outside and I'd stay up really late until I just was falling asleep. And um, then I would trust myself to go home and go to bed. So it was a really scary period. And that I had always wanted to do my eat, pray, love journey. And I had been learning about gray rock, but this person was continuing to contact me. And I was, you know, didn't really have the full strength to just block. I just made the leap. I went with my dogs one day to a cafe and I saw the tickets were pretty reasonable to go to Bali and the price of living there was going to be less than what I paid to stay at home in LA. I was able to find a subletter and I took the leap and it was the best thing I ever did because one, you have to get a SIM card when you get to Indonesia. And so your number is a different number and nobody has it unless you tell it to them. So I was brilliant. <laughs> that was really like my fail, fail safe thing, you know, and then he was blocked on all the social. So without access to my phone, because I had a brand new phone number, that was incredible. And that was enough to, I was looking forward to the trip and I was going to be in Indonesia for a month. So that was going to be enough time to get through the chemical withdrawal. And meanwhile, each day I was having new experiences with a new culture. I was being reminded of the kindness of people. I was out of my suicidal depression because I realized no matter how much you might want to die today, you have no idea that magic that waits tomorrow. And I found myself in these beautiful water temples and people meditating over the ocean and these jungle flowers I'd never seen before. And it reminded me, okay, if you're in that spot, just hang in there because we have no idea what tomorrow brings or what the next moment's going to be. Hang out for the miracle to happen because it might be right around the corner. And I found myself two weeks into my uh, Bali trip, running on a beach, a small beach where there was like this cave in the middle of the ocean with this like kind of keyhole where you could see the sun dropping and setting right in between this cave into the ocean. And I just sprinted until I was out of breath and I fell over on the rock and I saw the sunset and I found this mantra came to me naturally in this space after two weeks of detox. And I was we weeping and I was saying, over and over again, this mantra, which is thank you for my life. Thank you for my life. Thank you for my life. And I was holding my heart. I could feel the lungs breathing, my heart beating. I could see that I was alive. I was okay. I was in a non-okay um, situation. But once I was removed from the toxic situation, yes, I still had more healing to do, but I was okay. And I felt that and I saw that and I acknowledged that. And that became my mantra for the rest of my healing journey, which was every day, no matter how I felt, 
whether it was positive or negative, I woke up and I chanted, thank you for my life while I got ready, while I was brushing my teeth, while I was doing my hair. Thank you for my life. Thank you for my life. Thank you for my life. And sometimes you fake the affirmations until you make it. You know, there were days that I didn't feel so grateful, but that was a game changer for me. Oh, I love that. I've been listening to a lot of Abraham Hicks lately. And so I'm all about the affirmations and feel it, believe it, and then it will become true. Do you know what I mean? But what a beautiful journey, Nicole, like mic drop. If you have the ability to do that, to escape, it is the greatest reset, right? To get out of wherever you are in life. Like it can be leaving the narcissistic abusive relationship, but you can also reset so many other parts of your life. I bet you got clarity on your business. I bet you got clarity on your like life goals. I bet you got clarity on so much more than just hey, I got out of this relationship. I'm looking for love in Bali. No, you were eat, pray, love. You were like, I'm going to now reevaluate who I am and what I'm doing with my life. And I think that's such a beautiful way to do it. And kundalini yoga, okay? If you all can't go to Bali right now, no problem. If you're, let's say, like you have to stay home, um, you have kids with the person or you have a reason that you have to stay at home. A lot of classes are still online. If you don't have the privilege of leaving your house or you don't feel safe, you can just do Kundalini in your living room and you can you could join, you know, live and you can drop into these classes. But I mean, yeah, you're right. I mean, that is to me the best to reset the brain chemistry and to help the brain heal because that's what you need. And like, don't beat yourself up for the depression or anything that comes it's okay it's just the the brain chemistry literally needs to heal and reset so sometimes we assign so much meaning to this depression this feeling and 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 all of that it's not it's simply a chemical thing that's happening and it just takes time to heal the same as if you sprained your wrist it's going to take a few weeks you know um so i would say don't hold any shame Exactly. And the training element that you guys are touching upon too, I think affirmations are proven to work well because you're literally training your brain to think differently and, yeah. and recreating new neural pathways. Uh, so since not feeling good enough or worthy or whatever emotions are coming up for you as a result of these relationships, that's such a key component. If you can spend the time to say out loud, to write something down, to think it constantly, you're retraining your brain to believe that, which helps you work through any of the false beliefs that you've been trained into by the narcissist. And also EFT tapping, I think, could be incredibly healing for this too, which is something that you can do very subtly. So again, if you're in a abusive relationship or a tricky situation and you're, you're not really comfortable doing something that's obvious, EFT tapping can be as simple as touching your wrists or your hands. Um, it's, it works really well in your chest and your head as well. But I think just the subtle practices of coming back to your breath and top tapping on your body helps you get back into your body and yourself in a really beautiful way. And, um, you know, all of these tools are available online and they're free too, right? I mean, yeah, certainly they're paid versions, but they're free versions for everyone. And one last thing, speaking of signs, something that I was reflecting on in the Gabby Petito uh, case was that if she had known the um, hand signals there's like, I guess something, something in your fist where I don't, I don't know what it is, but uh, you can tap your hands in a certain way or clench your fist in a certain way to let 
somebody else know that you're in a bad situation. Oh, because she might not about this. <laughs> yeah, she she they suspect like if you watch the footage, it's hard to tell was she trying to communicate that she was in a bad situation because for those that don't know the context, the police happened to pull them over because somebody reported them for being abusive to each other. I think they were both like hitting each other, her, Gabby and Brian. So they While got they pulled were over driving, by right. the police. Yeah. And that was apparently within a very short period of time before she was supposedly uh, killed. And people just wonder, wow, could the police have known somehow? Did they ask the right questions? But also maybe more people need to be informed about how to show signs and even just knowing the symbol in your hand that you could indicate to someone could literally save your life. So I think that ties into this whole conversation of not only figuring out how to take care of yourself, but also how to indicate to other people. Cause I think support is key. I mean, Nicole, I remember as your friend, like hearing about what you were going through in that relationship and just wishing that I, I could do more and I had known more and I knew had the tools to support you. And, you know, it's heartbreaking to see your friends go through those tough times and we can't always help each other as friends. Like sometimes, like I said, in the case of my other friend, um, there's not much I can do aside from being there for her. But I think if more people could learn how to communicate and feel comfortable and confident in whatever form of communication that is, maybe we can get closer to a situation where we can support each other. Food Heals Nation, it's certainly that time of year again. Fall leaves, pumpkin spice, scary movies, and you know, the holidays are right around the corner. And did you know that most of us gain extra weight between Halloween and the new year? Look, let's be honest, that makes perfect sense. It's full of fall celebrations, family get-togethers, lots of gift giving, and it's really a two-month food fest, you know? So this very often can end in us gaining weight. And the problem with weight gained during the holiday season is that it can take months to lose, according to a new study by the New England Journal of Medicine. And unfortunately, many of us never lose the weight because packing on extra pounds stay on and accumulate year after year. And so researchers found that it took much longer to lose the weight than to gain the weight. So I don't know about you, but my goal over the next few months is to have fun, enjoy my holidays, but not to become a statistic. Are you with me? So you're probably wondering, Allie, how do we do that, right? I've got parties. I've got things to do, especially we're coming off this pandemic. We can finally gather again. I'm going to be eating all the food and drinking all the wine. I get it, okay? First of all, we have to address the underlying issue behind the reason that we gain weight or why we're not even right now maybe at our ideal weight. So of course, we may be eating and drinking more at these holiday parties and don't get me started on the Halloween candy that we're going to be consuming. But if that were the only reason that we gain weight, then why is it that some people get through the holidays without gaining a pound? And some people even lose weight, like I know, hate them too. But the reason is that the problem itself is not actually just in the extra food and drink consumption that you're, you know, doing over the holidays. It's how we are eating the way that we are eating and why we are eating the way 
that we are eating. So does any of this sound familiar? Have you been a yo-yo dieter? Um, Do you feel shame when you look in the mirror? Have you found yourself using food as reward? Do you feel like you've tried everything to lose weight? Is it time to give up? Do you feel shame around your body? Do you feel shame around the food that you eat? Have you ever fed your feelings with food and then experienced that guilt that judgment, that shame, and maybe you're frustrated with yourself because you're like, I should have figured it the F out by now. Why haven't I? You are not alone, okay? Our relationship with food can be very complicated because it's not just what we're eating and how much we're eating, but the way we're eating and why, right? And diet and exercise are amazing components of creating a healthy body, but if we're not addressing the emotional and spiritual issues that are underlying why we do what we do, then we're not able to fully heal our relationship with food. And therefore, the holidays are going to get us. All the diet and exercise in the world, frankly, is not going to get us to where we want to be. So I'm going to break something down for you right now. If you overeat, if you don't eat, if you're on a strict diet, if you emotionally eat, the answer is the same. We are trying to control a feeling that we don't want to feel. Sadly, the problem is the more we suppress those feelings, the more we train our body into the pattern of addictive eating, eating too much, or eating not the right fuel for our bodies, you know, eating the things at the party that you wouldn't eat at home, right? We are perpetuating not dealing with our emotions. So instead of resigning ourselves to gaining weight this holiday season, let's make a conscious effort to heal ourselves of these toxic feelings and finally find what I call food freedom. So Food Heals Nation, I have created a comprehensive three-week course to help you do just that. Let's find food freedom together. For the rest of 2021, food freedom is available for 70% off. I've never done this before, but I wanted to give you a gift this holiday that will give back, right? They say it takes 21 days to form a new habit. So in 21 days, you could change your life. In three weeks from today, you could have the tools, strategies, practices, and mindset to end emotional eating, to drop that body shame, to finally find food freedom for good and show up at those holiday parties without the need to overeat or overindulge and looking good and feeling good in your cute outfit, right? Everything you need to know is over at dropthefoodshame.com. Go ahead now and claim 70% off this holiday season from now until December 31st. But I wouldn't wait because imagine in three weeks, you could have all the tips, tools, strategies you need to create a brand new relationship with food and finally find food freedom. It's all over at dropthefoodshame.com. Now back to my interview with Whitney and Nicole. You know, one thing that stood out to me with the Gabby Petito case was when they went to a restaurant and I guess Brian got very upset about something and left and she came back in and apologized for him. So I have personally been in this relationship. I have had this happen and you're like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry for their behavior. So then the problem is, is that when you leave that situation, you apologize because you feel awful. 
What happens in the car ride home? You are berated. You are belittled. You should have been on their side. You are gaslit and manipulated, and you feel like a POS. And when I heard that story, I was like, oh, he, and I'm not a doctor again, but he is a narcissistic sociopath if I ever heard of one. Because who treats the wait staff bad and goes nuts like that and then probably treated her like shit after that? Just that little sign alone told me everything I needed to know, in addition to all of the other things like watching the video, you can tell this woman is traumatized. But I think Nicole, you mentioned it earlier where you want to hold it together because you're like, no one can know about this. And maybe it's not that bad. And you're kind of trained to pretend that everything's okay. And so explaining yourself, you can sound like an emotional fucking wreck, right? When you're the one in the abusive situation, but you're excusing the behavior and acting like it's no big deal because you want to hold that vision of perfection together. And I think that's where you want to protect yourself. I mean, to your point, Allison, like being pulled over by the police, I guarantee she was terrified of saying a word to to them because if Brian found out that Gabby told him what was really going on, she could have lost her life. And sadly she did anyways, but who knows, like maybe her death was a result of that situation. He assumed, you know, like we don't know any of these details, but it, it, in for a lot of people, it feels like a matter of life or death. And that's why they hold it together because they're afraid of the consequences of telling others. And that's just like such a heartbreaking story. And I think that's why the, these subtle communication, it's almost like sign language or literally it's sign language, I guess, with knowing how to communicate non-verbally to someone will give you a way to get support without it being really obvious. Even like, you know, 911 is trained, um, where they can ask you questions if you call them and you're like, hi, can I order a pizza? And they're like, are you in trouble? (laughs) Yeah. Which I think is amazing. I mean, I have not been in that situation, so I don't know what it's like, but I imagine that if I was, it would just feel so scary and you would feel so helpless. And the more that we can become educated about this self even my mission is like, how can I support others as much as possible? So I want to know how to look out for these signs so that I can help someone avoid these horrible situations because they're heartbreaking. And then the other thing I wanted to add about Brian too is part of what makes that case so interesting is the way his parents have reacted. And that goes back to the nature versus nurture question. It's like, what's going on with his parents? or his family, like the questions that people have about why his parents have stayed so silent and they're, you know, refusing to participate is absolutely horrifying. It's disgusting and unbelievable. Like what is but going it make on you, Doesn't it make you wonder how he was raised? Like I'm not right. saying that he's, you know, not at fault here, but like maybe his parents are sociopaths or maybe his parents are narcissists. What type of environment was he growing up in? Was he abused? Like, Maybe they're staying silent because the whole family has some major issue or secret or whatever else is going on. And I think it's incredibly important to examine all the root causes behind these things because if we don't, then we don't know how to prevent it from happening or solve it when it does. It's unreal. All right, ladies. Let me know if you have anything else that you want to add about this conversation or any more tools, but I really want to talk about what you've got going on right now, what's happening in your world. Nicole, tell us about the Martha Project and what you're working on. I know you had a Rachel Ray shout out. You're doing amazing things. So let us know if you have anything else to add and what's going on in your world. 
Yeah, I mean, the Martha Project's doing great. It'll be our two-year anniversary this Thanksgiving. Um, so we're really excited since the first one, which Allie, you came over to dinner later that night, um, the first time that we ever did a Martha Project. And yeah, we were so lucky to get a Rachel Ray shot out and we have some really beautiful collaborations lined up for the fall. We're going to be partnering with Sugar Taco next month for the month of November. Yum. And yeah, they're creating the Thanksgiving burrito and there's going to be an opportunity at checkout to donate to the Martha Project. And we are um, we have a fundraiser going right now. We're trying to get to a goal of $5,000 so we can put together a really special Christmas gift package um, for the community here. So we're trying to raise 5K. And um, if you donate over $100 to the Martha Project, you're going to be entered into a raffle. And the winner is going to get Chef Nicole, myself, is going to get to come over and cook a private dinner for you and up to six guests. So we're really excited. So if you if you do want to donate, um, we we would love to um, have your support to help feed everybody here. And then we're really excited about our partnership with Sugar Taco next month. Um, it, it, Sugar Taco is a really incredible vegan Mexican food restaurant, and their food is incredible. So it's it's worth it to go anyway. You can try the Thanksgiving uh, festive burrito that they're doing, and you can donate to the Martha Project there as well. Amazing! Thank you so much for the work that you do, and Food Heals Nation. Nicole is an incredible vegan chef. So definitely take her up on this. Like I want to win that dinner for six. That's incredible. Thank you. Nicole. <laughs> You're so welcome. Oh, and the other thing I was going to tell you was about the, oh, it was Whitney that was talking about the tapping. I was on a plane last time I went to Tulum and the woman sitting like across the aisle was tapping. And I saw her do it very, very, um, you know, nonchalantly. And I was like, girl, I know what you're doing, but I don't want to say anything. But then later we were talking about something else. I think um, she commented on my book or something. So I was like, hey, were you tapping earlier? And she was like, oh, yeah. She was like, I don't like when the plane takes off. Like, I need to calm myself down. She's like, it's better than Xanax. And I was like, really? She was like, yes. She was like, I used to have to drug myself up with Xanax and like vodka to get on a plane. She's so nervous about the plane taking off. And then she discovered tapping. So I saw her just doing the tapping to herself quietly on the plane and it works. So I think that's a really good um, anti-anxiety tool for anyone suffering from anxiety. But anyways, that was the other thing I wanted to say. Okay, Whitney. Tell us final thoughts and what's going on. Well, final thoughts are that I'm very grateful uh, for both of you, your just vulnerability and transparency and openness. Sharing all of this is really beautiful and it inspires me to think of more ways to, to help. And the way that I tend to help is by doing the research <laughs> and uh, <laughs> if that isn't obvious already and then speaking out about it. So I'm very active on social media under Wit Lauritsen, W-H-I-T-L-A-U-R-I-T-S-E-N. I used to run accounts mainly under Eco Vegan Gal, but I am transitioning over to Wit Lauritsen because that is more grounded in the work that I'm doing now, which is so much about well-being. And as I mentioned earlier, I'm really into podcasting. So Allie, it's funny enough, I'm about to launch another one and maybe another after that. And I just- You're like, a podcast addict. Yeah, <laughs> I'm really into it. So uh, the best way to kind of keep up with whatever shows I'm working on is at com, And that's really the hub for everything that I'm 
focused on. And lastly, I would say what ties best into this conversation is my passion project. And I hope one day that it will come to fruition and, and in public ways, like I've seen the Martha project developed for Nicole. Cause I remember when that just felt like a little side passion project for you, Nicole, and, and to see what it's become is just really inspiring. And for me, the equivalent is a project called Beyond Measure. And it's been this online support community that I've been working on very quietly behind the scenes for about a year and a half. And it is a safe place for people to come together and have vulnerable discussions about life and their well-being, just like we did today. And right now it's invite only, but I'm hoping shortly, maybe at the beginning of 2021, that it is open to the public and I can just have anyone join. But if if you, the listener, are interested, we meet once a week and we just have wonderful discussions like this and we share resources and we support one another. And it's almost like group therapy, although I'm not a therapist. And it's just been one of the greatest projects I've worked on in a while. So that's beyond measure. And you can reach out to me anytime through social media or email, and uh, I'll send you some info and see if it's a fit for you. Who who would we to not mention that Nicole and I wrote a book together? <laughs> oh, yes, of course. Of course. Yeah. Co-authors. Yeah. Yeah, and it's so funny because um, it combined a few of our passions together. I have been eating a low-carb plant-based diet off and on for the past three years and got approached to write a book. I'm not a chef or recipe developer, so Nicole came into the project and made some incredible recipes that everybody would enjoy regardless of the way that you eat. And Rachel Ray was kind enough to share that on her show when she featured Nicole and we got all these new readers. And it was just like such a joy. So uh, that book's called The Vegan Ketogenic Diet Cookbook. And you can get it in on most uh, platforms these days, including Amazon. So yeah, Nicole, so- I'm just blessed to be part of that. And then also we're, we're both in the Food Heals book. Yeah. yeah. Yes, you are. Speaking of books. <laughs> yes. Speaking of books. Oh, did you know I have a book, Food Hills Nation? Nicole and Whitney are both featured in the book. Thank you guys both for sharing your stories. And your publisher sent me copies of your book for not my last giveaway, but for the giveaway before that. So maybe for my next giveaway, I'm going to have to reach back out and get some more copies because I know the listeners that won those books absolutely loved them. I remember I was in my house in LA packing them up and I was also sending them out. I had extra. So more than the winners, I was sending him out for Christmas gifts. So that was really fun last year as Aww. well. Yeah. So thank you guys for That's that. great. Beautiful book. Of with course. Great recipe. So as you're getting rid of the narcissist in your life and you want to eat healthy, get the book so you can learn how to be vegan keto. <laughs> yes. Very healing. Very healing way to eat. <laughs> Absolutely. No, I mean, we got to get the toxic people out of our life and the toxins out of our system. So it all goes hand in hand. It all comes back to health. Oh, well, thank you ladies so much. This has been, look, I'm going to say a blast. It's not fun to talk about these things, but it's healing because it's like, I want to get the message out there. You guys want to get the message out there. We've all been vulnerable talking about our personal experiences. I really appreciate you guys. And if you're listening right now and you're like, oh my God, I just realized I'm in a narcissistic relationship. What do I do? Like none of us are licensed therapists, but just you can DM me anytime and I'll say, here's my experience. Here's my advice, but then go get professional help. Go get a circle of girlfriends to help you get out of that or boyfriends, whatever, get you out of the situation as much as you can. Or if you're in a situation like, you know, Whitney, your friend, I have a friend too, like you have kids, you can't get out of the situation. 
there are still ways that you can help yourself, heal yourself. I don't care if it's drinking a bottle of wine while you do the kundalini yoga, been there, done that. Um, We're here for you to help you get out of the situation or at least deal with it as best that you can so that your mental, emotional, and physical health does no longer has to suffer. And let's, let's all heal together. Yes. (laughs) Thanks ladies. Thanks, Allie. Thank you for having us. This is beautiful. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This podcast is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Side effects of this podcast may include increased health and vitality, thoughts of living longer, developing a more positive outlook on life. In rare cases, people have experienced a strong desire to put down the Ben and Jerry's, get off the couch, and take a walk outside. If you experience any of these symptoms, tell your Facebook friends immediately.